Is your job search stuck? Maybe you're not getting any interviews with employers, or maybe you are, but no job offers. Or you may be new and not even know where to start. This is Charles Maxwood, and I'm releasing a new course and ebook on how to find a job as a software developer. The course walks you through the process of finding the types of companies you want to work for, getting their attention, and putting your best foot forward as the candidate they want. I've coached dozens of developers in looking for jobs and have been able to help several people find jobs within two weeks to two months. So whether you're new to development, can't find a great job that fits what you want, or are looking for remote work from an area without a strong tech community, I can help. Go to getacoderjob.com and sign up today. Everybody, welcome to another episode of the Elixir Mix podcast. Here on our podcast today, we have Mark Erickson. Hey there. Uh, I am Eric Berry, and to get today, we have a special guest, and his name is Arjun Sherpanesi. I said <laughs> that right. wrong, so why don't you correct me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's almost right. It's uh, Arjun Sherpanesi, so it's a, it's a hard G, Sherpanesi, but. Unless you're Dutch, it's really hard to pronounce. <laughs> now, now as, as I understand it, and I've actually experienced this, if you're going to drink Heineken, you got to drink it in Amsterdam. Am I, is that right? Yeah, yeah, I guess. I mean, it's, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the rest of the world drinks it well, so we actually prefer like more you know, other beers. <laughs> like totally it's a, understand. Yeah, it's like the, the regular, like... Uh, the butt light of, of Amsterdam, basically. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I now feel pretty stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, all the stereotypes about Amsterdam are true, but uh, yeah, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, Amsterdam is a great place. I actually uh, went there not too long ago to visit a, a good friend of mine. And I, I only spent, uh, it was just in, a, in a, a connecting flight, so I only stayed there one night. But it was a beautiful place, uh, so much culture. The buildings are incredible. And and those um, those uh, rivers or streams or whatever they are that go yeah, up and canals. down the roads, yeah. canals, absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a UNESCO heritage area, I think. It's, it's, really, it's really beautiful. And I used to work a while, like actually for seven years, right in the, in the city center. So it's really beautiful just cycling to work every day across all those tiny bridges. It's uh, it's lovely, uh, but right now I'm living more like on the outside of Amsterdam, but still uh, I, I go there a lot. Yeah, very cool, nice. Well, we had you on today because you had this uh, uh, article or blog post about Bubble Script, and this is yeah. a creation of yours. Yeah, and and I, we're so what you created is an interesting idea. And so could you just introduce the idea of what bubble script is and what problem you were trying to solve with this? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I guess I'll just start at the beginning. I've been a freelance software developer for around, I think, uh, eight years or something like that. Um, and I've been using Erlang and Elixir for a long time and I've been using Elixir a lot, a lot more in the, in, the, in the past few years. And I was doing all kinds of web projects, like from you know, full stack uh, for like small startups or, or, or apps for agencies, etc. Um, so um, at some point, uh, an agency asked me, "Hey, can you can you build?" A, uh, we, uh, it was uh, in the in the cultural sector that I, I did a lot of work. So so they asked me, "Hey, uh, there's this museum, the Amsterdam Museum of History, and they want to have uh, chatbots that guide you through the exhibition of uh, um, of their museum." Um, so uh, yeah, that's of course a, a nice, uh, uh, nice project. So I, I thought, hey, let's let's do it. Um, and these chatbots were really—they were like storytelling chatbots. So so there were three historical characters. One was was uh, like a woman. One was the former mayor of Amsterdam, 
one was a child, and they all had their own uh, their own uh, stories. Um, so you could look one of those uh, persons up on on Facebook Messenger and then start you know start the conversation and and basically. Uh, they, uh, the bots guided you through the exhibition. So they said, hey, hello, my name is Catherine and, uh, you know, I'm a woman and I was uh, engaged to blah, blah, blah. So they start the whole story and then at some point they say, hey, now let's, let's walk to uh, painting number 13. Are you there yet? And they say, okay, yeah, I'm there. And then the story continues. So it's a bit like, a, uh, like an interactive fiction kind of way of, uh, uh, of visiting a museum. So is it spoken? Like, are you interacting with voice? No, it was it was all uh, on Facebook Messenger. So it was, okay. it was just yeah. uh, just text. Um, so that was their that was their concept, and it was it was really meant for a young audience. So uh, the uh, the curators they they gave uh, they well they wrote stories about these characters, and then uh, a, a copywriter like translated it into like a, a modern day uh, chat language basically like small snippets and, and with lots of emojis and, and gifies to, uh, <laughs> to accompany that <laughs> nice. so really like targeted towards a young audience to get them engaged with the culture so well that's all just background when, when they approached me i thought hey, how can i build something like this uh, because well i don't want to build like a cms or something like that for them to maintain all these texts and i also don't want to hard code them in some kind of script somewhere to um, because then I'm, I am, I'm the one uh, maintaining it, and I don't want to be a, a, a CMS uh, person. I don't want to content manage all that things. So then I thought, um, so I, I wanted them to maintain it themselves, but I also thought uh, a CMS is kind of limited because you, well, if you want to have a conversation, it can branch out in different directions depending on you know anything basically. So it's like it's a bit like how you would like write a, a computer program. Um, so in, uh, so then I thought, oh, wait, I'll just give them like a JSON file, you know, just, uh, put on one line, say hello. And then the next, next line, uh, how are you? And then, so each instruction on one line and a JSON file or YAML or anything. Um, but, but in those file formats are also kind of brittle for, for editors. And then they, there's a lot of, you know, uh, syntactic sugar, like curly brackets, etc. Um, and YAML also uh, breaks very easily. Um, so, uh, so then I thought, well, um, that's also still too hard for them probably to, to just type. So, and then I thought, why, why don't I use the Elixir parser to, to like create like a kind of JSON kind of format from, uh, from like a very simple kind of DSL. So you would have statements saying, say hello, and then say, how are you? And if you parse that with Elixir, you just get a data structure back. It's not Elixir code, but it's just data that 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 uh, contains those statements. So, so I did that, and then I wrote like this very little, basically just a loop that looped through that parsed uh, structure, and then spit out all these messages to to Facebook Messenger, like on a on a timing uh, on an event uh, kind of timer. Um, that kind of worked, and then I start. Uh, uh, I, I made a very simple like UI, so. So the Elixir parse actually gives you very good error messages back. So the so well the, the most important thing is that it tells you on which line the error is. So then so then uh, I, I create like in React I create like this little you know editing window where you can put in a script and then if you type something then it on the, on the background it checks whether your syntax is correct or not and then it, it highlights the the point where it uh, it's broken. So. Um, and then there's a run button and a simulator on the side, so then they could really easily like try it out. That's how it started, and and well, it was a 
kind of a lot of work just for a single project, a single freelance project, uh, which I didn't earn too much money with. Um, but I, I found the idea really fascinating. And at that point, I think it was about a year ago, maybe maybe a bit more, I showed it to a friend of mine uh, and he was just leaving his job uh, as uh, he was an IT manager at a large company. And I showed this and he was like, hey, this is really cool. And he saw like a lot of possibilities. He was also really into Elixir. And um, so he said, hey, uh, <laughs> let's start a company. And, uh, and that's what we did. So that's where Bot Squad kind of came from? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Nice. So, so I guess one of the questions I had was, you were mentioning how this is doing like uh, compile time checks and things. So is this, mm-hmm. is this DSL that you've implemented, is it done through macros? Yeah, but it is not compiling to Elixir code. So I'll actually use some macros in there, but um, I just use the parser. So there's this code module in Elixir and it's called, uh, it has a function string to quote it. So if you call code string to quote it on a, on a string that contains like valid Elixir code, then you get this you know, kind of like nested parsed structure back. And it's not, it's not yet a code or anything that, that runs. You can, you can do with it whatever you want, basically. Um, but you can also run macro expansions on that, actually, to, you know, to, uh, to process it even further. So I, I don't compile it to Elixir code, uh, but I just, just take that data structure and just put it, I just use it as like a functional thing. So I take this data structure and then I say, hey, give me the next message. And then it, it modifies the data structure a bit and then I say, give me the next message. And then, and then you can you know, call methods on it, basically. If nice. that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense. So then they're just able to, yeah, and I see like you have an example in the article where you're showing the parser and how it gives, like this statement is on line two and this statement is on line three. So that if there's a problem, yeah. something is invalid, you can say, hey, it's, it's on line two. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, that's really nice. I have yeah. not actually ever used the code string to quoted before, like in, in that way. And I think that's, uh-huh. a, that's a great application for that. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's also very easy to, to try out. If you just like take the, the code from, from, from my slide in that article and you just you know, put the strings around it and say code string to quoted or any other Elixir expression, you get like this parse data structure back and you can, you can do anything you want with it. Um, so, yeah, and, and I, 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 well, some people say, hey, why, are, why did you choose Elixir? But for me, it was a very natural choice because Elixir, well, the design of Elixir is that, that it should be very easy you know, to do, uh, that the syntax is very clean. So it doesn't contain too many, uh, too many weird uh, characters if you, if you keep it simple. Um, and yeah, that's, of course, because of its Ruby background. So, yeah. And you mentioned that... Uh your, your path to Elixir went through Erlang first. But yeah, exactly. You started yeah. In, with Erlang in like 2009, right? Um, yeah, that's right. Maybe, yeah, around that time, maybe even like somewhat earlier. I don't know. Yeah, I was working at, a, at an agency back then. Um, they were doing, a, basically building a platform for, a, it was a kind of a CMS for, for also few museums and for, like for cultural projects. Um, it was all uh, written on the PHP stack, and then the, 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 one of the co-founders, the CTO of the company, left, and and he started to work. Like for a year, he was he, he locked himself into his room, and he he worked on this weird language called Erlang because he he was really frustrated with PHP, and he wanted to. He, he knew that he could make the web better and faster by by using a different uh, technology stack. 
So, um, and that was back in 2008 or 2009. Um, and he went on to create uh, Zotonic. Um, I don't know if you hear, heard about that. It's a, it's a web development framework uh, for, for Erlang. It's, it's quite a, a full stack, a high level uh, framework where you can make like content, uh, content driven websites, I, I can say. So they all, Zotonic sites all have their own uh, built in CMS. Um, it's a bit, you can compare it a bit to Drupal, I guess. Um, yeah, so he was working on that and I got in touch with him and he actually, he actually convinced me to, uh, to start using Erlang as well. <laughs> and for me that, uh, Erlang really hit, uh, what do you call that? I really liked Erlang because it, uh, uh it reminds me actually, actually of Prolog and, uh, Prolog is, uh, uh, well, it's a logical programming language, which looks exactly the same like Erlang and the same weird syntax. So for me, the syntax was actually something that I, uh, that I liked. Um, yeah. So, yeah. What was the path then to Elixir? Like, you're you're doing Elixir stuff yeah. now. Like, what? Yeah. Like, you know, why would you leave Erlang? Because, Erlang behind. Yeah. Yeah. Because well, like Erlang is it's a, it's you know I don't know. I'd love to hear about that. That's a that's a that's a very good question. Um, I I'm, I haven't left Erlang behind entirely. Uh, I must say, but yeah, for me it was kind of a natural progression. Uh, I saw that well. It was also a bit a bit a. a uh, due to the community like w- when elixir first came around uh, I-, I wasn't really that interested actually like the first few years um i was like oh yeah well this is you know, when i looked at elixir code i just saw erlang code basically because it's you know all the all the concepts are are, are the same it, it only has like different skin um but what uh, what i also saw was that the community was uh, was very different like uh, erlang developers are usually these developers that are no, hidden, hidden away in some large corporation, and uh, no, it's a bit of a stereotype. <laughs> I'm, um, but 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 I think it's it's the truth. Like uh, there there is no Erlang meetup uh, in Amsterdam, and and uh, the Elifer, I actually did not go to the the first ever Elixir meetup in in Amsterdam because I also was still kind of you know locked up in my own room somewhere. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so me for for me really the. The thing that that got me into Elixir was was the community, like and the you know the the breath, the, the fresh breath of uh, of air that was uh, uh, yeah that was coming with that. Like and the the, yeah, the tooling was way way better. Like even you know um, uh, right now we like Erlang has uh, caught up a lot actually with uh, with Elixir in terms of tooling and package, package management etc. But uh, but back then there was a real difference between like you know, building an Elixir project and building an Erlang project. Um, so so that's that's what uh, what got me over and then yeah and then i stayed uh for you know for the for the features like uh, you know them the higher high level features the, the more convenient way of you know building modules and having le- less it, for me just uh, i i i slowly uh, uh <laughs> i slowly got into it uh, basically and then i uh, and i stayed <laughs> that's cool well we're, we're glad you're here because you're bringing cool stuff too thanks <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah. It's unfortunately that Bubble Script is not still open source. Actually, I I, re- I really want that, but we we still have to find a way how to how to really how to really do this. Um, and uh, people ask me that a lot, like why why isn't it out there? Um, but open sourcing something that's really at the core of your you know your young startup is is something that is yeah for us at the right now the, we we still have to find the right form uh, for it, and it also would mean like. Uh, actually a lot of work to you know maintain it and, and document it and give oh. support etc just throwing some something just over the fence and say hey you're 
good luck with it isn't, isn't going to help nobody. <laughs> right. So I do want to come back to the, the idea of your chat app, right? Mm-hmm. And that is inherently a very stateful process, right? Yes. They've, they've, you, know, you don't want to keep repeating the same parts of the story for, like, for the characters. So how are you kind of helping to manage that state? Like what are you, what's your process for doing that? Or you mean uh, technically in, in like how, how this is built or are you yeah, more well, in well, like, conceptually uh, in how, how bubble script like loops through things? I was kind of thinking more along the lines of, um, I, I noticed in your article, you're using a, a, a struct to manage a state yeah. you call a state and you're yeah. using gen servers. And I was just wondering how well those were working to, to be a solution for the statefulness of that yeah. interaction. Or, yeah. or are you doing it, or you're not using gen servers for like if if I'm a user interacting with this through um, uh, Facebook Messenger, yeah, um, am, am I uh, always talking to you, the same gen server? Where it's, yes, yes, that that's exactly how it works. Um, you could probably do it differently if you really would uh, would want that, but um, that that's exactly so how it works. So the interpreter itself is like a, um, a purely functional struct so it's purely functional data structure you put something in you get a message back for instance Uh, but you also get like timing information back that says hey you have to wait no 500 milliseconds and then send that message so those instructions are part like of the functional in and output of the of that uh, of that uh, stateful uh, struct Um, and so what i wrote around that because that struct you i mean you can do you can also just persist it to disk every time and then when facebook calls you you can also you can load it from the database and then you know unzip it or whatever and then uh, and then process it again but, um so how, what i do is just putting it in a gen server so this this gen server has has this struct and then it it has a timer so whenever it get it gets this timing information you have to wait it sends a message to itself in like 500 milliseconds or something and then it wakes up itself something like that so um, so what you were saying were right, even if you're using a Facebook Messenger, but also for for all the other things like Slack, Discord, uh, we're working on WhatsApp support, um, and of course the, the the web through a feeding sockets. All those front ends are are calling into this uh, bot server that uh, that's basically just a gen server. Yeah, and then uh, there's of course a very interesting question is how how does this scale? Uh, <laughs> because there's yeah there. It's um, so what I, I've used. Uh, I'm now we're now uh, working on uh, uh, moving to uh, to a Kubernetes to uh, to the uh, Google Cloud. Um, so what we use to uh, because these these requests can for the same like chat can come in on different nodes. So we, we cluster right. them together and we use a distributed process registry to to make sure uh, you know, to look up the uh, the right process that is already there. And if there's no process yet, we we just spawn a new process on one of the nodes. Yeah. Uh, do you mind me asking what process registry you're using for that? Uh, Swarm. Okay. Yeah. Um, actually, yeah. I'm uh, since uh, two weeks or so. I uh, I'm one of the three maintainers now of Swarm. Oh, nice. <laughs> so it's is that for if anybody's listening? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, at some point, I was uh, I was listening to this uh, one of the other podcasts from uh, from uh, Paul uh, Bitwalker Schoenfelder. And yeah. he was actually actively calling out for people to help him take over one one of his many projects. So I I messaged him on Slack and I was like, "Hey, uh, <laughs> I want to get into Swarm because uh, while well, I'm using it myself, 
Um, and I see that there's quite a backlog of, of stuff and, and quite some improvements to make. And he was, uh, yeah, was enthusiastic. And was one other guy, Randy, who's now also the maintainer. So now it's three of us. So uh, hopefully we can, uh, uh, we can bring a bit more life back into that project. That is cool. I'm glad to, glad to hear that. Because, yeah, like, you know, that, that whole uh, distributed process registry, that's, that's a hard computer science problem. And I just, know, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm thrilled that, uh, that uh, Paul was able to get some, some help and, and that you're, you and, and uh, your friend, was it, what was his name again? Yeah, well, I actually don't know him. His, uh, his handle is a Bearded Eagle, but he's, uh, he's called Randy. I think Randy Thompson. Randy. Yes. Yeah. I'm just glad to hear you guys uh, were able to reach out and do that. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, we're getting there. And I mean, it's, all, it's already, it's a, it's a really nice piece of software. It, it uses this, uh, well, uh, distributed conflict-free replicated data type, uh, CRDT, to, uh, to, uh, to manage the, the leaving and joining of nodes and distributing of processes. Yes. Um, and well, most of stuff is already done. So it's just a matter of making sure that it works for everybody. And uh, yeah, wrinkling out all the glitches. So we don't have any... Like, well, we do have one big plan actually for Swarm and that is like splitting it up because right now, if you use Swarm, it's one, one you, ha- you get one Swarm. It's basically the singleton, the Swarm application itself starts, uh, starts as tracker. Uh, so every library that uses Swarm registers to the same tracker. Mm. And that can cause, uh, that can cause problems uh, that, uh, probably. So what we want to do now is make it into more of a library application where you start your own Swarm tracker into your own supervision tree um, so that most trackers don't, uh, they, every tracker can have their own configuration in terms of like blacklisting and whitelisting nodes and, you know, strategies, whatever. So we make it more modular. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just wanted to mention one of the things you said that thought was kind of fun is like you're having this uh, gen server process that's, you're having to intentionally build in delays, right? Because yes. you're trying to, um, trying to kind of, give the feeling that this is maybe like a real person I'm talking to, right? Exactly. Well, there's actually, there's even instructions to, to show and hide the typing indicator. So you can, you can even programming so that it types and then it stops typing and it starts typing again. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, awesome. so, yeah, so one of those, the typing indicator is a real instruction. I mean, it's, it's of course, it's, it's a gimmick, but, but, yeah. but actually most, like, uh, uh, most APIs like Slack and, and Facebook, et cetera, they all have support for it. So, but why not? <laughs> well, it's true. It's like, you know, if it, if, it's, uh, if it comes back and responds too quickly, like immediately like a computer can, then it's like, it doesn't feel real. So Yeah, exactly. That's fun. That's, yeah. And also it makes sense. For instance, you can show a typing indicator and then in the back, and then like basically synchronously do an HTTP request or do like a you know, calculation that can take some time. And then you know, okay, so now the bot is probably really doing something. So it can actually help like as a, like a progress indicator or something. Nice. For you, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at lootcrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, uh, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby 
Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. And, uh, and let's see, there's one other thing I wanted to mention about, like, I just wanted to comment on how you're using the state struct mm-hmm. to, to do the gen server. I just, I love that pattern. And I just wanted to kind of call that out as like, yay, plus one to that. And just letting any uh, listeners know, like, that is a great way to, uh, to test how a gen server should behave. It's by mm-hmm. putting all of your logic into a struct. And yeah. then, like, like you said, it's pure functional, right? At that point, exactly. it's just, yeah. I'm just testing like, hey, given this state and I call this, you know, perform this function, my new state comes out and it does this. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a great way to test because it, it's also so fast. You don't have to wait for anything. <laughs> so yeah. it's, a, um, I think I have like 500 tests or something or 600 in that project and they run in five seconds or something. And, yes. and most tests are, uh, well, there is some, I also have to test the gen server, of course. So there you have to do some timing, but I can speed it up. Yeah. And actually what I'm also working on, what's not yet released for, for bot squad is, is bots testing bots. So because we are writing this bubble script, um, you, you have to know whether you're, when you change something in your, in your, you know, your, your bot conversation, if, if it still works, if it's still, your bot still behaves how it should behave. So normal programmers write tests for that. <laughs> so, um, how do you test a chatbot? Well, with another script, I guess. So, um, so what I'm doing now is like write like a counter script that if you to test the bot, so make certain assertions in the same way as the bubble script is, is formulated. So instead of say, um, if, if the bot does say, um, or if, actually if you, if you say something, then you say and ask are basically two statements that are opposite of each other. Then one is sending something, the other is receiving something. So, um, so that's very fun to, to test the bot with another bot. And then those tests, uh, also run in like a, you know n- n- no time at all because these bots can chat so fast with each other. It's uh, <laughs> so you can you can have the bots like kind of I don't know interacting throughout throughout uh, I guess in your testing framework they don't have to like actually go through the, the messaging protocol or anything. Exactly, exactly. So uh, in that case, in the, I just made not one struct but two structs and just you know pipe the output of the one into the into the other and it's still all functional. But but it's just two bots, <laughs> you know. Well, I don't know if you still can call it talking, but they're <laughs> they're doing something. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Well, is there anything else you want to talk about on Bubble Script or Bot Squad before we jump into the next topic? I don't know. Well, I think this is really the the basics, and uh, yeah, of course, if you, if you want to check it out, um, we we have you can you can open a trial account on BotSquad.com. It is not really if you expect it to be Elixir, it is not Elixir. It just looks like Elixir. But uh, yeah, I think for now it's uh, it's good. I think uh, yeah, uh, we're we're still working on uh, on a lot of, a lot of interesting stuff. But I could go on for hours. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think there's also another topic, right? <laughs> well, yeah. So like about, yeah. when I was looking up uh, some of the things that you're doing, I saw that you're also like you spoke recently at uh, Code Elixir in London. Yeah. Uh, on, and you're doing a boot camp series. So like it sounds like. Uh, that you're doing, you're running an actual Elixir bootcamp to introduce people to the language and programming in it. And I would just love to hear what you're doing there. Yeah, that's right. Well, it's it's not a the 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 format of the bootcamp is um, is 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 not like a bootcamp of ten weeks or something. It's just two days, so it's it's really meant for 
for programmers who are proficient in another programming language, like you know, a functional language or, or, or PHP or Ruby or whatever, um, who want to know more about uh, Elixir and how, how it works. Yeah, so uh, we, we have done it now for uh, two years in a row. Um, I do it. I teach it together with uh, Tonsi Galic, and uh, he's uh, another guy from uh, Amsterdam, and he actually organized the Amsterdam Elixir meetup. Um, yeah, so two years ago we, we we got together and we thought, hey, there, there's a, when we when we always people ask in the audience to the audience when there's an Elixir talk, hey, how many people of you use Elixir in production? And then we we saw just too few hands go up, especially two years ago. Um, uh, so we thought, hey, we should do something about that. And I was already teaching or had some experience teaching like programming to to students and Tonsi as well from his work. So we thought, hey, let's uh, let's just try to put a, a Elixir curriculum together and then uh, then see where, where it leads us. So the format is uh, two days, uh, two consecutive days of, of teaching. And the teaching is theory and mixed with uh, exercises. And we there's about twenty students in, in each boot camp. Um, yeah, so you probably want to know what <laughs> what I'm teaching. Well, uh, I'm, I'm also curious, just like to you know, it sounds like you're, you're people are coming to Elixir to these these meetups or this uh, boot camp kind of two day <laughs> things from another language already. And yeah object-oriented, and you, you mentioned functional too. I was just wondering, yeah. what are some of the challenges or how have you uh, been able to best help people who are, like, have, are coming from the object-oriented background and they're coming into something that's pure or very functional where you can have like, yeah. a lot of pure functional stuff. How, what's that been like for helping people to kind of get that? Um, well, yeah, they have to, they have to really... When I was doing object-oriented programming myself, I always had this feeling that there's you can do anything. Basically, you can just store some stuff somewhere, and it will be there for you, like three function calls later. Um, so I think that stuff like that, like this, that you don't have any global state or anything, like you know, globe the globals, that everything is just functions all the way down. I think that's the really the hardest uh, the hardest thing to to realize also that there are no loops basically um although they <laughs> there is the for loop in elixir but it's not really well there yeah so so those those things are i think really the uh the hardest things to grasp and so what we we start uh, by teaching them um on in the beginning of the bootcamp is uh, is the yeah the, the two things that are really stand out which are recursion and uh, pattern matching and uh, pattern matching is also something that's one of the other things that's in most languages there's no such thing so that's also something that they have to uh, wrap their heads around a bit but recursion is really always the the tough you know except for people who, who have a computer science background they you know they they get it they they can do the fibonacci series in their dreams but but they know if you just are a self-taught programmer then recursion is always something that you really you know I, I, yeah, it's still uh, yeah, it can be it can be hard to hard to grasp. So yeah, those things are really um, the basic building blocks, and then then we move from recursion and how can you expand that to you know more higher level functions like the reduce and the, and the map. Yeah, and and you uh, you I saw from your video you're talking about how you showed the a, a elevator 
example. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. That was from Joe Armstrong, right? I know he's talked about that, uh, that example. Really? Oh, yeah. I did not realize that. Yeah, it no. might be. Yeah, I might. I mean, I, I one my first Erlang book was Joe's book, so I might might have gotten it from somewhere. But um, yes, I'll just mention that Joe Armstrong. He's one of the creators of Erlang, and and so what? I, so you're talking about at that point uh, the actor model, and, yeah. and using the concurrency and processes and the idea that uh, Joe kind of put forth, and then you were continuing and using is is that the real world is really models processes really well. Like if we think about how <laughs> processes work, we can, it maps to and overlays onto like real world behavior really naturally. And that's mm-hmm. why it's easier to understand that. And so you have this like example of, uh, I don't know, showing how elevators move to different floors to pick up passengers and you're pushing buttons and, but it's all through code, right? Yeah. So you said that, uh, like, what's that like for the, the students as they're kind of, seeing this happen and interacting with you and as you're demonstrating that yeah what we tried to do with the elevator example was to give a more indeed real world example because the 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 the, we show a genserve or we actually have them build a genserve before which is very simple with just key value store so the internal state of the genserve is a map um so what we wanted to do here was to see to show them okay the gen servers are usually a bit more contrived than just a map with uh, with two functions um so that's why they have this complicated internal state so so i start out with well actually when i when we wrote the cur- curriculum i did not write the elevator gen server myself i just wrote the tests so i wrote i think like 80 lines of you know assertions <laughs> below each other um so if you press this button and then you the elevator goes to this floor and press this button it goes there and then the doors open and the doors close again you know just very boring just i just wrote them down i didn't use any you know fancy stuff like properties or anything we just wrote some actually assertions about some elevator cases down and then when uh, then i we showed that because the the whole curriculum of the of the bootcamp is actually also test driven so we we usually just give them the tests and then they have to implement in the uh, the assignments themselves um so here, uh, of course, we first wanted to to give hand this elevator also to them as an assignment, but but that was actually very ambitious. So so we thought, hey, let's just do it live. <laughs> so uh, I just opened up my editor and just start writing this uh, this gen uh, this elevator gen server, and you, you on the other window you see the tests going green, and then sometimes it it gets worse, and you and it, yeah, I think that's for for people. It's really well uh, really nice to to watch to see. You know, to see how you reason, how you uh, reason with state, and how you you know process these messages in GenServer and see what what happens in uh, in your tests. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I actually I um, also got the comment that the, for that particular elevator example, I did not have to use a GenServer at all. Actually, I just could have written it as a struct. <laughs> but that, of course, uh, it's uh, it's just a minor detail, I guess. It's uh, in this case, it was really for them to learn how. You know how to modify the state stuff. So, yeah, that uh, it works. It works pretty well. So some people compare it to watching a movie or an exciting, you know, <laughs> and actually doing interactive. So you see people shouting, "Oh no, you should increase something there!" And then other people uh, say something about sorting the cues. And it's a it's a very it's a very interesting process. <laughs> That's fun. And usually, actually, we get all the tests done at the end of the at the end of the afternoon. Sometimes. 
it didn't work, but <laughs> usually uh, at the end it's uh, it's fixed. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So and, and on the and the second morning, um, we actually give them the solution to the gen server, and then they uh, because the second day of the bootcamp is more about getting practical, um, not 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 just theory about uh, about process etc., but actually how how can you build something with Elixir and how can you deploy something. So so we hand hand them over this this gen server, elevator server, and then we say, uh, and you can now try to build an API. So make a REST API just with a simple plug and some JSON encoding and decoding. And then uh, ship that uh, with uh, uh, in a release and then uh, run it, uh, stuff like that. So really the practical things that you need to know. <laughs> no, that's great. Um, I think it's great that you're making the effort to uh, introduce the Elixir to more people. That's something yeah. I've been working on doing too. Like uh, we have a meetup here in, in uh, Utah Valley. Um, cool. But it's... And that's, I'd love to see more people doing that. Um, just I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's, I don't know. I, I love teaching people and uh, Elixir concepts and functional things. You know, I came from a, um, most recently it was a Ruby background, mm-hmm. very object oriented. And once I kind of started to get the functional, it's like, it was, it was a bit of a, like a, a head trip, right? To really kind of... <laughs> get that difference and then like once you do it's like oh okay i get it and then yeah and then then it's like then you feel powerful because like wow i i get all these beneficial properties in a system because it's immutable and it's concurrent and it's pure functions and i i get to solve all these other problems like these all these other problems that i've had before they just kind of don't exist over here yeah so it's fun i love I love it when people are like when you can see the the, the, light, the light bulb moments. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah, we have exactly the same at that bootcamp, and also, of course, at the Elixir meetups regularly. But yeah, what what what's and sometimes unfortunate is that people sign up, but they they say, yeah, well, I know, I I'm now I've now learned this and all, but probably in three weeks I've forgotten all about it because I don't have a project right now, I, or I cannot convince my boss to use it, stuff like that. So, so I think there's also. Um, yeah, so that that's that's still where the adoption is should also take place. I think is more or is is more you know in the higher levels of you know getting into as an actual replacement for you know some other technology like Java or anything. Um, but but yeah, that 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 light bulb moment is is really that that I can really relate to, and it's also that actually that's why I do the teaching because you know seeing that is is so uh, yeah it's very satisfactory. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's very rewarding. Yeah. All right. Well, is there anything else that you'd like to cover uh, or talk about before we close? Mm-hmm. I also wanted to announce that there's the, well, my company, Bot Squad, is, is organizing together with uh, Erlang Solutions uh, a Codebeam Night Conference in Amsterdam. So that's also one of the ways that I'm trying to, to get more people into Elixir. Um, so Codebeam Light is, uh, is a one-day conference. Um, it takes place on the 30th of November. Uh, we have, I think, about 12 speakers. Uh, we actually have to make tough decisions uh, this Friday because there were too many submissions, uh, too many nice submissions for us. Um, but we really have nice keynote speakers as well. Uh, Sasha Juric from the Elixir in Action book is coming and Mikal Muscala from the Elixir Core team as well. So, um, yeah, so it's gonna, that's going to be fun. So if you're in the area... Uh, grab a ticket and uh, and join us in Amsterdam. Great, I'll put a link to that in the Thanks. show notes. Yeah, 
Great. All right. Well, thank you for coming on. And I, we're going to move to picks. Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter DevChat in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Eric, do you have any, do you have a pick for us? <clears throat> I'll just share one pick right now, which is uh, I've, been, I've been looking at different uh, platforms, not platforms, different technologies to build static sites. And what I have, so our, our application code fund is completely been, uh, built in Elixir. Uh, I'd like to integrate a blog and maybe some enhanced uh, static page generation within it. Hmm. And so I've been looking around different ways of doing this and, and I don't really want to write a blog if I can avoid it, a blog system. So I found uh, it's kind of an old reliable, but if I integrate Jekyll directly into the application, it works extremely well. Uh, I just create a, a folder uh, just on the root folder called static. And in there I create my Jekyll, my Jekyll stuff. I can tell Jekyll to push all rendered static stuff into the priv static folder. And so then I now have a very robust um, uh, static page generator and blog system um, that coincides right along with my, my Phoenix app. So I've been pretty happy with it. So my pick today is Jekyll. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. I, I've used, I use Jekyll for my blog. Um, but nothing as advanced as like having it dynamically re-render, but that's cool. Yeah, that's that's where I think the other one, the Go one comes in, right? The, the Hugo, I think. Hugo, yeah. yeah. And I've looked yeah, at Hugo, I just thought, yeah. you know, I think it's a matter of preference. Hugo's faster as far as loading, but okay. when it comes down to it, like you're creating static content, it doesn't matter how yeah. fast it is yeah. at the end of the day. I actually, I'm, I'm uh, subscribed on Twitter to this Elixir Packages account and Within five minutes, I saw two static site generator packages pop up on on uh, on the HexPM today. So one's called yeah. Gons, and the other is Fermo. I don't know if they're forks of each other or if it's a rename, but I'll look into that. And there's, there's talking about static sites. There's also this really large overview of like I don't know if you've seen I've seen that on Hacker News. This is staticgen.com, I think it's called. It lists like all the static giant site generators that are out there in the world, basically. There's tons of them. <laughs> <laughs> so probably the Elixir one should also end up here at some point. Well, I'll just share my pick. You know, we all have to-do lists, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, other people are putting things on our to-do lists and always giving us more to-do. And that can be overwhelming and frustrating. And so one of the things I have that I've adopted from 
someone else, a mentor who kind of taught me this, is and actually a to-be list. And so it's a list that I create and I have here and I keep keep next to my desk, uh, like my, at my home desk where I go every morning when I wake up. And it, like I write down, these are the things that I want to do, the activities that I want to do that are part of who I want to be. You know, the person that I, the better version of myself that I can see, who I want to be, does these things. And, and I check them off every day that I'm doing these things. And so they're not to-dos like, you know, laundry or, or, you know, like chores kind of things. It's more like um, working on goal, uh, small journaling, um, uh, meditation, things like that. So that's mine is just a, a little custom made to be list. So Aryan, do you have something you can share? <laughs> yeah, I'm actually, well, I don't, I was just working today on, well, I saw, I saw something completely different. I'm also, it's just a more brain thought than any brain thing than anything else. But today I saw, I, I, well, I noticed all this fuss about Phoenix Live View and the other like alternatives to it. And I saw that in Rust, you can actually have this nice macro kind of thing where you somehow you can, you can escape into another language, but that language itself is also already like syntactically correct in the way that it's a balanced token tree, basically. So for instance, how you would do JSX in, uh, in JavaScript. Um, so today I was, I was trying to, well, to write some or experiment, experimenting with something like that to actually have like some kind of parser for JSX or anything or something to make that into a macro so that you can have this nice render function that, you know, so you can write a JSX. <coughs> <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There, it's it's nothing yet, but uh, just something that I was uh, was interesting in, and it's also very good, nice to for me personally to to learn more about about parsers because there's like ten different ways how you can how you can write parsers in Elixir these days. Um, so right now I'm ex- experimenting with the 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 leaks and yak, you know, the Erlang yeah. variants. But yeah, but that's the thing. And another thing that uh, something that I really want, but it's not out there yet, is an Elixir parser for JavaScript. So you can parse Elixir code in JavaScript. And that's, of course, very because we want to do the bubble script parsing also on the client side. Um, so if anybody wants to build that, please. <laughs> <laughs> and then drop you a note, right? I'll, I'll just do it myself anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, if people would like to follow more of what you're doing or where you are online, where should they go? I think that my main place is, uh, is Twitter, I guess. Uh, I, I don't tweet a lot, but my, my handle is AC Scherp. It's very hard to pronounce. Or on GitHub, my handle is Aryan. So that's that. Or otherwise on the Elixir Slack. That's, uh, I'm online usually uh, European uh, working hours. So that's it. Great. Well, thank you for coming on. And uh, we will see yeah. you guys all next week yeah thanks for having me bandwidth for this segment is provided by cashfly the world's fastest cdn deliver your content fast with cashfly visit c-a-c-h-e-f-l-y.com to learn more